0: Hello, I'm Alex, and this is the Geordie Guide to Happiness, a new podcast series exploring what makes us smile. In our first episode last week, Chris and I talked a little bit about the project as well as our own ideas on what happiness means to us. So if you've not listened to that one yet, you can still find it on our website on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts. I'm here in our virtual studio again with the rest of the podcast team. Hi everyone. Hi,
1: hi, I'm Cass.
2: Hi, I'm Chris. Hello, I'm Dominic.
0: Well, it's been a really busy week for me this week, sort of launching the podcast on social media, and uh, you guys have all been involved in that as well, so it's been busy. How's everyone else been doing?
1: Yeah, pretty, good. Pretty good,
0: yeah, but I'm, I'm
1: interested to know a bit more about what you've been doing this week. Is it different?
0: Yeah, it's been really exciting, sort of getting the responses on social media to the podcast, Um I've been running some happiness workshops as well with some of our community groups who've been involved. So have been working with uh, Chili Studios in Biker, First Step in the West End, and also Tyneside Women's Health, who are based in Biker and Gateshead. So it's been really nice talking to them on online on our on our Zoom workshops.
1: So what's a happy what's a happiness workshop?
0: We've just been getting everyone together on Zoom and just chatting, just doing sort of story circles online. So I've got questions prepared. But to be honest, once people start talking there, you know, I don't have to do too much talking, actually. It's been really good. So, yeah, everyone's been sort of sharing their ideas of what happiness means. Um, yeah.
1: So what what was one of the highlights, do you think, of the story that might have come out of or-
0: I think what was interesting was talking to some of the Chile studio group about the term happiness and um, a lot of them preferred to use the word contentment which I thought was really interesting um, and for the first step group there was a lot of commonality in the workshops. so a lot of them were saying that similar things made them happy things like doing crafting and walking and going to the beach so yeah it was really interesting getting that that shared commonality between people. But what about everyone else? What's everyone else been up
2: to? It's it's been an odd week for me. Mm-hmm. I think I think I feel a bit uh, sad happy today. I mean, the reason I'm feeling sad is that my friend Jeremy um, Jeremy Nelson died at the weekend, mm. um, which wasn't a, wasn't a big surprise. Um, he'd been living with cancer for about ten years or so. But you know, obviously, we miss him dreadfully. He's he's gone mm. now. But the thing that's um, has actually been making me feel kind of happy this week is that one what what Jeremy what he was a music teacher uh, in Whitley Bay his name is Jeremy Nelson um, some of our listeners might uh, might even remember him um, uh, but he was involved in the music group in the church that I go to which is uh, Trinity Methodist in Gosforth and uh, one of the things that we did right at the start of lockdown was because we knew we knew Jeremy was ill um, and one of our number Kieran arranged this version of Ackerbilk's Stranger on the Shore. It's like a classic jazz number. Um, and sent the music around. He did all the parts, and he sent all the parts around to, to all the people that were involved in music in the in, in the church. And actually, there's, there's a huge number of people um, playing just about every single. So we had, like, a proper big band. Uh, drums, bass, guitar, piano, strings, brass, all that sort of stuff. And uh, we all recorded our bits, and then Kieran stitched it all together, and it's all on YouTube at the moment. Um, and I've just been watching that, all day today, you know, in a little moment, I just kind of put it back on. and I just watched it, and it's just made me feel enormously happy about who Jeremy was, and yeah, you know, what he's given to the people around him. So, I'm um, just thinking about our podcast and what what it means is that yeah, the happiness is balanced by sadness. It's all kind of part of the same thing as well. Yeah. So uh, it's yeah. been it's been an interesting week.
1: Would anyone mind if, if I shared a story like that?
2: Um, yeah, go oh, for yeah, it. yeah, t- definitely
1: because my husband died quite a few years ago from cancer and he was very poorly for a long time and then the marvelous wonderful staff at the RVI gave him an extra year of, of life and i have the most wonderful memories of that year and they there was something about it that made it very special and every time i think back to that time I don't often think about the dark times but I think about some of the things we did that were were wonderful and the one of the, the last uh, I always remember getting a telephone call from him on the way back from York races with his best friend and I, th- I think that um, they'd had quite a, a run of luck at the, at the races and, <laughs> and um, so he was telling me all about it uh, in the car coming back so so yeah I can perfectly tune in to what you mean about sad happiness and oh. happy sadness mm-hmm. thanks, thanks
2: for, for sharing sure. that Chris it was lovely oh, thanks for sharing that Kath that's,
0: that's lovely and obviously we're, we're recording this as an audio podcast but we can see each other and it was great to see you both actually yes yeah, smiling <laughs> as you were sort of recalling mm-hmm. and remembering those memories as well mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah thank you for sharing that um I'm going to hand over back to you, Chris. Actually, for this episode, <laughs> too much, too much um, of me in this episode. <laughs> far too much. Um, to introduce our special guest for this week, so over to you.
2: Yeah, well, uh, we do have a special guest, and it is quite exciting. Um, I uh, what about a week ago? I suppose uh, I got the chance to talk to Anne Cleeves, um, renowned and famous author uh, of the the Vera series of books. Somebody who has brought an enormous amount of happiness to not just people in this region, but people kind of everywhere. Um, and uh, we had a really interesting chat about kind of where happiness came from, and you know what, uh, what, what happiness has to do with the writing process and her books and so on. So, uh, so without further ado, I think we better hear from Anne. So, Anne Cleves, uh, a very, very warm welcome to uh, the Geordie Guide to Happiness. Uh, how's your day been?
3: been good it's been blowy out there it's been very wild and windy so I did a bit of writing this morning and then this afternoon I went out for a, a lovely windy walk along the, the fallen
2: That That sounds like it's a bit of a, a sort of a routine sort of a balance of the of the work and the, the getting out and is that how you like to to organise yeah, your day? Yeah it
3: is you can't just stay in on your own all day and since lockdown came I um, in the past, I might just wander out and sit in a coffee shop and have a coffee, but now it's it is the walk without the coffee instead of the walk with the coffee as a treat at the end.
2: Things things have changed enormously, haven't they, over the last uh, yeah. last couple of weeks? Um, well, last couple of weeks, a couple of months now. I mean, it's we've been we've been at this a while. Um, I just wonder about. Um, it's kind of difficult to talk about typical days then, in that sense, but I wonder. If, if we can describe a typical day, wh- when is it during that typical day that you would f- be at your happiest? What would you be doing?
3: Oh, I'm a morning person. So my mm-hmm. happy time is I'm usually awake with the shipping forecast, if not before. So around 5.30. Oh, and goodness. if I'm working on a book, I'll be up then sitting at my kitchen table, writing, making stuff up, still in my pyjamas, Drinking lots of tea, and that's my best time of the day.
2: What is it in particular about the morning?
3: What is it? I've always been much better at waking up in the morning than I'm after tea time. I just collapse in a heap. You're lucky that you're talking to me. I just, <laughs> I'm not, not usually terribly uh, articulate in the evening.
2: Well, I'm a little bit the same, but I'm perhaps less of a morning person than, than you would be. It's, it's you're up for about three hours by the time I'm I'm able to speak to people. So that's um. And have you been as part of the new routine? I just wonder how things are changing. Um, have you been finding any particular ways uh, with the with the new setup and, and the lockdown arrangements? Have you found other ways to um, to kind of increase that happiness over the course of the day?
3: Uh. Not really, I don't think. I think for writers, lockdown hasn't changed very much. I mean, I've done quite a lot of travelling for book festivals and things. And I was thinking about this this happiness that you were asking me to talk about. And it's hard. My husband died two years ago, just over two years ago. And this would have been a very, very different experience if he'd been here, because we would have been bickering and laughing and joking. and So... I'm not, never since since the lockdown, never been sort of mega happy, but that doesn't mean I'm not content. I'm just very self-contained. Do the writing for the first eight weeks. I had an 11 year old grandson stay with me, because he had come straight out of hospital. He's chronic asthmatic, and he was stop, on such strong medication that he was. Um, considered vulnerable so even before proper lockdown the kids were still at school he's got three siblings he could have his own bedroom and bathroom here so he came here for eight weeks and that was quite different really it was quite odd having somebody else in the house for that time but he was great company we got on like a house on fire we didn't fall out at all (laughs) he was very tolerant of me
2: it's interesting you talk about being content that's something that's um We've been talking about as a as a team about kind of the different types of happiness. Um, that there's um, that there are moments where you can be happy and things you can be doing where you're happier places that you can go, but that's separate to that underlying feeling of you know whether you know how content are you as well. And um, so you, listening to you describe that at the moment, I think that kind of brings that into uh, into into sort of sharp relief. Um, you mentioned a little bit earlier um you're you're writing um and obviously it's, it's obviously a very involved process uh of, of coming up with a novel
3: quite simple really i just start and tell a story and carry on until it's done it's not that complicated
2: i i have this picture in my head of particularly crime writers of of walls full of notes and red string just kind of connecting everything up is that not the case then
3: No, I think some people do are that organized. You see, I would find that incredibly boring. So what (laughs) I like doing is just telling the story. So I write like a reader. So I'll start with sort of tone or a voice or an idea, certainly with a place. It always starts with a place. And then I just uh, just start, just go for it. And I'll write the first scene and I need to know what's going to happen next. So I write the next scene and carry on till it's done.
2: Is there a point in the uh, in the writing process where, that you feel kind of happiest? Is it, is it at the start where you're just trying to settle on that tone and, and get that feeling for place? Or is it as it comes together or when you get to the, the conclusion? How how does how does it feel to write? The happiest to write? is
3: just about to start. So in the past, it would have been a blank sheet of paper, but now it's a blank computer screen because at that point, you can convince yourself that you're going to write a really good book. And about a page in, you know, you already know that it, you failed. But uh, the middle is the worst bit because I don't plot and I'm not quite sure where I'm going. And it's like wady and blue orange and that sort of saggy <laughs> middle bit is quite tricky. But then when you get to the end and you can see how you can realise how you can pull it all together. And then sometimes you get really lost in a scene. So you're there, you know, you're absolutely there writing about whatever I'm writing about. And that's, that's a lovely feeling too.
2: You mentioned place and place has obviously got a very large part to play in, in your novels. Um, is there a particular place? I mean, it's a bit of a cliche to call it a happy place, but are there particular places that you, you think of as, you know, you've got particularly fond memories of them or somewhere you go, where you know, you're going to be happy.
3: Yeah, Shetland's like that. Shetland's my kind of sanctuary, I think. I first went there more than 40 years ago, dropped out of university. It was just a bit low and not sure what I was going to do with my life. And just by chance got offered this job as assistant cook in the Bird Observatory on Fair Isle, which is the most remote of the inhabited Shetland Islands. And set off, not really knowing anything about it, and just fell in love with the place adored Shetland and very much settled into the rhythm of it of cocky at the observatory and wandering down the island and catching up with islanders and listening to their stories mostly and making friends and I met my husband there Tim came as a visiting bird watcher so I got to know him there and yeah we've been back lots of times but still I go back to Shetland and I've got great friends in Shetland mainland as well as in Fair Isle.
2: I've never been. I have to admit, even though um, I was brought up in Scotland, I've never made it as far north as Shetland. Um, for for people listening to this podcast that perhaps haven't also haven't been, I mean, how would you how would you describe it as a place? What what what, what do you feel when you're when you're walking there uh, uh, around the coast or on the beaches or on the over the moon?
3: Shetland is some people I think find it quite bleak because there are no trees or very very few trees, so it it looks very Scandinavian. And although it's about 100 miles long from top to bottom with the three main islands, you're never more than, I think, three miles from the sea. So you've got all these inlets that are coming in. And so there's just amazing views of water and then land and then more water and huge skies. And very, very friendly communities, spread out, scattered croft houses, mostly. Very, not Not a village in the sense that we would know here a so very Scandinavian. Yeah. Well, I took some Icelandic friends there. We had a book festival in Shetland and they said this could be this could be Iceland. It's very Nordic.
2: It is. I, I imagine it is. Absolutely. Um, you, You're not obviously not your, you're not from Shetland. So I think it was no. Devon you were you were born. I mean do, do you have a is that is that a place you associate with happiness as well?
3: Yeah very much. I, I have wonderfully happy memories of of North Devon which is where I went to school so yeah went to the the school there from 11 to 18 and yeah very very happy memory especially in my sixth form great friends still in touch with the friends that I made there my best friend go and stay with she's still in North Devon I go and stay with her quite often and she comes up here too and uh and it was I did the most The book that's mostly recently come out, The Long Call, is set in North Devon. So the start of a new series. And that was great fun, going and spending a bit of time there and taking me back in my memories to those. I remember it as always being sunny and beach parties and people playing music and falling in love for the first time. So, yeah very, very happy memories. I'm thinking about recent happy times. One of those was a holiday on Lundy, which is an island just off North Devon with Tim and I and three friends. And that was just a brilliant, it was October, but very sunny. And we rented this this lovely house on Lundy and the pub made its own beer and the food was nice, and we'd separate and go off and do our own things during the day, and then come back and take it in turns to cook in the evening. And yeah, that was very restful, very peaceful.
2: They they both sound, I mean, idyllic places in their own way, Shetland and uh, and Devon. Um, you're not living in, in either of those places at the moment. So you've settled in uh, in in Whitley Bay. Yeah. Um, so what 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 is it that drew you to 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 Whitley Bay?
3: Uh, We came north first in the mid-80s because my husband worked for the RSPB and at that time the northern office was based in Newcastle, still is I think, and uh, yeah so we moved, we lived in Hollywell Village for a while and then he moved to West Yorkshire for about seven years, again for work, but always knew that we'd be coming north as soon as we could and. Yeah, he took early retirement, came up, and we had mm-hmm. had wonderful times here. Yeah, bought the house in Whitley Bay. Bit of a risk because we didn't really have much income at that point, but
2: but it worked out.
3: but it worked out fine. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's it, it is a fantastic place, Whitley Bay. I mean, it was uh, we, we my wife and I we moved to uh, the northeast actually from Derbyshire rather than Scotland uh, about 10 years ago. And uh, Whitley Bay was one of the places that we looked at mainly because um, Susan, my wife's, her her grandparents and her parents grew up in that part of the world. And it was always, you know, we'd really, really like to, but We ended up going for the the kind of the pragmatic choice of of being a bit closer to the center of Newcastle, Mm. uh, Newcastle City. Um, But being able to get out to the coast I mean, it, it's not very far, but it feels a very, very different place. Yeah. Um, being at that stretch from Tynemouth, Whitley Bay, Colour all up there up to St. Mary's Lighthouse. It, it's very much its own place.
3: Yeah, it's, and it's become very popular, I think. I saw, I think, in the Chronicle over the weekend that more people are trying to buy houses in Whitley Bay than <laughs> anywhere else on the coast apart from Whitby, I think. Uh, so I think people are realising again in lockdown that it is very nice when you've been shut up in a house to be able to wander down to the beach and colour coats in the evening, colour is probably the nearest bit of beach to me. And my daughter lives in Whitley Bay too and her kids go kayaking and paddle boating and once all the trippers have gone, all the day trippers have left and it's just the locals and it's calm and it does feel very restful there, just watching the kids play. It's a great. They've been so lucky during lockdown because they've had that. They had that wonderful May, and imagine being locked up in, I don't know, the middle of a city in a flat with a couple of kids. And there they were. They could just walk out down to the beach and had all that space.
2: Yeah, it doesn't bear thinking about. It if if this had been during the winter. Um yeah my my daughter i mean we we're, although we're in UK, in uh, in gosforth um her school's got a surfing club and they'll they'll go out um, go out
3: to time with.
2: yeah go out to timeworth and uh she's 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 never really done it before before she went to that school absolutely loves it so I think she's feeling a little bit a little bit bereft that uh, now would be yeah. the time that she'd be out there experiencing the experience in the ways but uh, it's it's not to be sadly for the time being you could take her. I suppose we could. Well, we, she doesn't have her own surfboard, oh, so right. I don't know whether the uh, the the hiring places are open. No, no, we did we did buy a canoe, uh, recently, um, which seems slightly odd, given that we're quite a long way from water here. But we thought uh, uh, having having had a really really beautiful holiday in the southwest of Scotland a couple of years ago with some friends, they had an inflatable canoe. And uh, we thought, oh, let's let's get one of them. And for some reason, we thought lockdown was the best time to buy, buy an inflatable canoe. So we need we need to we need to we need to sail it you somewhere. Need to go so it might way. as well be, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I wanted to ask you a question um, because I was thinking quite a lot about um, the conversation that we were going to have today. And when I was talking to people about the fact that I was going to be talking to Anne Cleave's renowned uh, crime crime writer, um it always kind of struck people as slightly ironic that uh, we were doing a podcast on happiness and I was talking to a crime writer. I mean, surely we should be talking to, you know, a romance writer or uh, or something, uh, some, some other genre. But the more I thought about it, the more I realised actually a crime writer is the best person, the best type of author to be talking to about happiness for all sorts of different reasons. And I just kind of wondered... How how do you think that happiness relates to that that genre of, of of crime writing?
3: I'm not sure that happiness is is the right word, but I think especially in in difficult times. If you look back in the 1930s, that was a great golden age of crime writing, and that was the time of the depression and the between the wars, and knowing that there would be another war probably, and then. In the 80s, again, there was another P.D. James, Ruth Rendell writing at a time of of great turmoil and political upheaval and depression again, and recession again. I think it's that sense of order restored that most crime novels have at the end. So you do have a sense of redemption at the end, maybe, or certainly resolution. Yeah, that's what people are looking at it looking for some, some end to it, some sense that things will not return to normal exactly, but feel some sort of relief.
2: Yeah, no, I can understand that. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm reading Raven Black at the moment.
3: All right. Um, having, yeah. having only
2: watched the, uh, the, the, the TV shows, Doug Henshaw um, uh, as, mm. as Jimmy Perez. Um, I kind of thought, well, no, no, I, I I I would quite like to read them I think rather than just get uh, get my feeling from uh, from which you know the, the the really rather good BBC adaptation of it yes exactly um, right. but one of the one of the things that s- strikes me reading it is um the, the the relationship that some of the characters have with happiness or that that pursuit of happiness and you you have characters like Jimmy Perez who's the 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 police inspector um compared with another character like duncan hunter um who are both i don't know I, I feel are kind of looking for for happiness the same way but looking in very very different places for it so the moment in the book that i'm up to at the moment uh jimmy's got that decision to make about um does he does he take on the croft that's come up um and duncan is is kind of acting out the whole um kind of fading fading playboy of uh, of the shetland isles yeah um thing so it, it's that drive for happiness I think I'm just wondering what what characters particularly your characters could, could teach us about understanding what happiness is
3: yeah and well, I think maybe it's Vera who could teach us most because there she is on her own stomping around overweight and everybody says oh, she's lonely no she's not lonely she absolutely has got what she wants which is her her cottage in the hills and her team she would be unhappy if she had to stop work if she ever had to retire that would make her unhappy but i think she has real contentment
2: yeah no i can see that i can definitely see that i mean it's in a way it makes a a good comparison to other um other crime characters like um so john rebus for example yeah who is very Uh, troubled very troubled
3: (laughs) But what
2: great books he had right so yeah yeah absolutely I mean, it's, it's it's the wonderful thing about um, about the the genre of crime writing is that you can get so many different flavors and approaches by the angle that you take to it and um, yeah. so every every plot is different every every kind of main protagonist is, is different than that. and that and the place as well I mean, it comes back to this thing about place as well um, that's right that, yeah uh, that you mentioned uh, place and tone um I wonder, just thinking about, sort of looking forward a little bit, thinking about the future. I mean, w- what is it that you would say that you're looking forward to to most at the moment? If you're sort of thinking about future happiness.
3: Oh, a good cup of coffee in a coffee shop with friends, or sitting mm. in the pub with friends, or having yeah. people round to the meal for a meal in the house. So it's it was lovely when they. Um, when they let us meet up in gardens. So it was a sunny, beautiful evening. And the first evening that was allowed, had some friends around for a glass of wine, just sitting in the garden. And that was lovely To because we do Zoom drinks every Friday night. So a group of us, which is fun, but actually to see people in real life was, was terrific.
2: Listening to you talk about meeting people again and getting back together with people. I mean, w- would you say that that is... Um, being being sociable and being together with people, that gives you more happiness than, say, the more solitary time. So the more the time that you spend writing, for example, and, uh, and by yourself, where where do you think the balance is between the two?
3: I think I need to be alone more than I need company. So, you know, it's been a long time alone, so it will be lovely to meet up with people. But actually, it's the the solitude I need more. So I could quite happily go and do go a week, ten days without seeing anybody. And and that's fine. If I had to go 10 days without having a few hours every day on my own, I would go crazy. I would be climbing mm. So yeah, no, I need to be on my own more than I need need company. Yeah. And I have had company because as, as I say, I've got one lot of family living Gateshead and the other live in Whitley Bay. So the Whitley Bay ones I've been seeing since since we were allowed to meet outside and meet you at the beach and all that, and the ones in Gate said "I've become my support bubble, so I actually went for Sunday lunch
2: or in the house
3: in their house, yeah, I think
2: yeah, it's not
3: entirely sure who's supporting whom. I think I'm probably supporting them more because they need the childcare. So.
2: although it's yes, I know where you're coming from, yeah
3: yeah i think it might be rude to get people back at, back to work rather than supporting the older person who are on their own but.
2: it feels a little bit like a transgression doesn't it sort of go, going into somebody else's kind of domestic space now this family's yeah. so many weeks not doing it actually kind of crossing the threshold into somebody's house feels uh, yeah a bit feels a rebellious for some reason yeah yeah it is when would you say that happiness happiness is hardest to find
3: Mm, that's tricky, I think I'm not good at you know, publishers parties, events, that sort of thing I do find quite intimidating. So you go down to London and there's a large party for, for my book even and I'm really quite uncomfortable in those situations.
2: And there's a, there's a, there's a book coming out soon, isn't
3: it? September, book coming out at the beginning of September. And, uh, because of all that's going on, I, I should have been in the U S to launch it. And that U S tours are always really brutal. They're not happy. So it's always, you know, a city a day, early get up. There's a car to take you to the airport, horrible regional American airport, nothing decent to eat fly somewhere get out there's a car to take you to the bookshop do the event get to the hotel overnight and then another early call another car and the same thing all over again so you cross america everybody thinks it's really glamorous because you've been to seattle and los angeles and san francisco and phoenix and, but you don't know, have a chance to see any of them except wave at them from the plane as you fly in or fly out so
2: do you never get a chance during the the tour the to um to kind of get a little bit of time for yourself or to go off and explore or
3: very you know, little. You find
2: a bit of that solitude?
3: Yeah, very little. And you're usually so knackered that you just go to the hotel room and try and just get a bit of peace. Yeah. It's not, not fun. But some of the conventions yeah. are fun because I got to know people there and then you're in one place and you can wander around a bit. And, get a sense of where you are but i'm i'm not sorry that the tour was cancelled <laughs>
2: um, i mean your you, your books obviously make make people very happy um uh, you know the 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 acts of reading i mean is is, is are you a reader as well i mean do you, oh, do you take time out yeah. And, yeah
3: and i've read more i think since we've been shut down since everything's shut down because because it is it does Take you to a different world, doesn't it? You're somewhere completely, completely different.
2: What, what was the last book that you remember reading? Thinking actually, you know, I'm really enjoying this. This is giving me this is giving oh, me a lot of joy and happiness.
3: I know because I've I've got sent one. um It's not out until next week, and it's called Quiet Acts of Violence, and it's by Kath Staincliffe. and it's just brilliant. She's such an underrated writer, I think, and again, it's kind of crime I suppose, but not at all a mystery who done it. There are so many different varieties that are slotted in the that with that label. But she's just so good and she's got these these two women who are solving the crime and ones quite damaged. But just what made me happy was the craft that went into putting those words together. You just read it, and you know that you're in safe hands from the first couple of sentences. That made me happy.
2: So, t- taking pleasure in the in the the artistry of, of others, and yeah, recognizing that
3: absolutely.
2: And we better um, we better uh, start to wind things up. But uh, I, I, I I was wondering because you know we're creating a, a guide to happiness. Uh, hopefully, this is something that we can we can help to to kind of spread um spread a bit of happiness and a bit of joy around Tyneside and, and, help, and help people to feel whether it's happiness or whether it's contentment uh I don't know that might, might be different for different people but I um if you everybody's different of course and we'll respond in different ways but would you have any advice for people whether it's about reading or writing sort of ways that those things in particular can help them to feel happy
3: things to see you through the day I suppose so Mm -hmm. lots of little treats are good I think it's small things to look forward to even you know it might be a favorite meal or it might be but also really is so good because you can't escape somewhere completely different and you get wrapped up in a story and you do forget where you are or if the writing's anywhere near could you forget where you are it takes you takes you to a happy place.
2: Anne Cleves, thank you very much for joining us on the Geordie Guide for Happiness. Um, Hopefully we will
3: see you soon. Thanks, and it's been lovely to talk to you.
2: Thank you, Anne. So that was my conversation with Anne.
1: Well, since then, Chris, I've had a, a a bit of feedback from that interview uh, from her, mm-hmm. and uh, she thoroughly enjoyed doing it. And oh, well, that's uh, lovely. She was very she she was happy to be involved in the project. Oh, that's great. Thanks. For <laughs> that's, that cat cat that, for that is lovely
2: to know, actually, because <laughs> I, I I kind of imagine she she's a really busy person, and mm-hmm. actually, somebody you need to listen to the the interview you know that she's a person that values the time that she's got to focus on her own things and her writing mm. um so i was a little bit kind of anxious about sort of breaking into that and having a chat with her so that is that, that has oh. made me happy <laughs> <laughs> thank, you, thank you very much Anne, for that, uh, that that comment i just wonder what uh what anybody uh every, everybody else on the uh on the, the podcast thinks about uh what Anne had to say
0: I thought it was really interesting what she was talking about solitude um, Mm. that she can quite happily not see anybody for a while but if she had to go without solitude that would really she really wouldn't like that at all I thought that was really Mm. interesting yeah Um, so she's sort of found lockdown not that much different to when she's writing I think Um, so I thought that was really interesting that sort Mm -hmm. of love love of solitude Uh, yeah
2: how about you Dom? um well was, there were two things i guess there was a moment where she talks about um well you say you're, you're having a conversation about how you know being a crime writer and writing about grim things might not necessarily be <laughs> what would make you the happiest in life but she brought up the point that uh, often with crime writing and uh crime films and and the likes uh, it's a sense of the end order is restored mm. so it rebalances everything so you're kind of watching and, and reading with that anticipation that the world will be put back together again, I guess. So yeah. That was fascinating, yeah.
1: So, no, just the thing that struck me about it was how very small things meant an incredible amount to her.
2: Yeah, little kind of moments and uh, and occasions and just... That, that, I mean, she, we talked a little bit about that kind of happiness and contentedness thing at the start. Mm. Um, and it was just interesting that she she brought that up um, really without, um, uh, without without prompting. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for me, I think there were two things that really stood out. Um, one was when she was talking about Vera mm. and how, you know, th- there are some people that, that question, you know, Vera can't possibly be happy because she's on her own. And and I was like, no, 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 she, she is. She is very happy. Um, <laughs> she perhaps doesn't look happy to some people uh because maybe we have different expectations of what's uh, of what happiness is and what it looks like yeah. and you know for a lot of people it's quite an internal thing um but the other thing that that really got me was when she was talking about um the, the book that she was reading and how that was giving her a lot of happiness she was talking about the other author and what i i, I suddenly realized just kind of what what a generous spirit she obviously is um because you're know, taking pleasure and getting happiness from somebody else's craft and being open about that. It's it's, it's a very giving thing, a very giving form of happiness. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm I'm really pleased we got a chance to talk to Anne.
0: And that she enjoyed it.
2: Yes. Yes, that's good. (laughs) Well done, Chris.
0: (laughs) So if you've been inspired by this podcast episode, then we are looking for people to get involved in the Geordie Guide to Happiness. We are looking for people to interview to tell us what happiness means to them. You can get in touch via email, hello at happiness.co.uk, or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Geordie Guide or on Facebook, the Geordie Guide to Happiness. And I should also mention our funders um, again because this project wouldn't be possible without support from the Newcastle Cultural Investment Fund at the Community Foundation. So thank you for your support. So coming up next week, we have a really interesting interview with someone called Mark, who has a real love for the outdoors and spends a lot of time outside as a Forest School leader. We also talk about our shared passion of VW camper vans. So you'll hear me ask him questions like this. So what is it then about being outdoors that, or being in the woods that makes you happy? And hear him give answers like this.
2: I've always liked woods. Um... I Again, linking back to uh, camping and that, my nana had a caravan in Hexham. Uh, from being born, we were taken up there pretty much every weekend, and that backed out onto woodland. So we were let out uh, and would be in the woods all day, and it's just a, a chance to be able, to be free to uh, to play and explore safely and learn, learn um, taking risks, which I think a lot of modern society is very risk averse.
0: So. I think that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Hope you join us again for our next episode.